Hey there, SLP. You are listening to this podcast, so I know that you love to listen to podcasts. And if that is the case, then I know that you are going to love my secret private podcast, Secondary Secrets for SLPs. It's six short episodes that will have you walking away feeling refreshed and inspired and ready to take on those challenging secondary speech students. So if you work with grades four through 12 and are in a planning rut or wanting some fresh new ideas to keep your students motivated, make sure you head to speechtimefun.com slash secondary secrets. You are not going to find this podcast in your iTunes podcast search browser. You can only get access by going to that link. So head to it now. It is six short episodes that you can listen to it in under an hour, like totally Netflix binge-worthy. I made this just for you, and I know you are going to love it. SLPs have been telling me already that it has changed their way for working with their older speech students. So head on over, again, to speechtimefund.com slash secondarysecrets, or use the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to hear what you think. Now let's head on to this week's episode of SLP Coffee Talk. You are listening to SLP Coffee Talk. I am your host, Hallie Sherman, and I am a licensed speech-language pathologist who is in the trenches working full-time in a public school in New York. I am the author of the blog and Teachers Pay Teachers store, Speech Time Fun, where I love helping other SLPs conquer the overwhelm and get back hours spent on prepping activities. I am here to help you be the best SLP you can be and have fun while doing it. Just like your morning cup of coffee, this podcast is just what you need to start the day or week. Let's jump into today's Coffee Talk. Hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. Today, I don't have one guest. I have two two of the ladies from Diversity SLP, Courtney and Christina. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Allie. Let me know a little bit more about you guys and what you are doing and your journey that led you to here. Courtney, you can go first. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Christina. Um, My name is Courtney Overton. I live in um, Prince George's County, Maryland, and I have a private practice called Speech of Cake which is located in Alexandria, Virginia. So we meet with um, students with speech sound disorders and dyslexia. And I also teach speech sound disorders at Emerson College. So Christina and I were actually undergrad roommates at the University of Pittsburgh. And then I went on to Emerson College for my master's. And that's where we, where I met our third member um, who couldn't be with us Her name is Anna Maria, and she is also a pediatric private practice owner. Christina? Thanks. Um, So, yes, uh, my name is Christina Royster, and I live in Silver Spring, Maryland. Um, All three of us are located in different parts of the what we call the DMV, but D.C., Maryland, Virginia area um, surrounding D.C. Um, And so... I have a private practice plan on words therapy. And so I mostly see clients in their home environments as well as um, a couple 
that I see in the school, like preschool kind of environments. And then I also work in Maryland public schools um, for an AAC team. So I kind of dabble in both worlds between school and also private practice. Um, as Courtney said, I went to the University of Pittsburgh for undergrad. And then I went to the University of Maryland for grad school. And then I got my doctorate in 2020 from Arizona State University and this doctorate in education. And so, yeah, I'm glad to be here. I'm excited. Awesome. And when did you guys or how, what made you guys come together as diversity? That's a great question. Um, I think there was, it's more, it's a combination. I think it's been a passion of all of ours, just all of us being from marginalized groups um, in not seeing enough of us in the field, just from our education, like coming up through undergrad, grad school, and now as professionals in the field, all of us are in our ninth or 10th year. Um, and so we're kind of in that mid range between early and seasoned professional, I guess, I guess now we're closer to seasoned and unfortunately things haven't changed that much between from when we started and to now. And so I think it was a need for impassion for all of us. And then also we just kind of kept hearing from other people that they were experiencing, you know, the same kind of issues, if not even worse than some of the things that we experienced. So we just thought like, we just kind of got together and we're like, how can we actually try to like make a difference, something that's feasible and something that's actually going to make change rather than just talking about it. And then that's kind of all it goes is just that's kind of where it stops is you talk about it and then people are affected for that day and then nothing happens from there. So we wanted to try to figure out a way to just really make, you know, actionable steps to try to create a change. And what are I'll some let of the elaborate. Yeah, yes, please do. Yeah, we all live, as Christina said, in the DMV, and there is a lot of diversity here, but I feel like that's not being reflected in our graduate programs, whether that be um, in our faculty here or in our um, students that we see, perhaps in the university clinics. And there's usually not a specific focus on, um, you know, teaching about culturally and linguistically relevant materials or assessments or things of that nature. So we started recruiting people um, at the high school level because we thought, you know, we have to start early. So we started talking to some students in the DC um, public schools and charter schools and informing them, you know, what is a speech language pathologist? Most of them don't know what it is. And then we also have to bridge that gap because once you get to college, you see communication science and disorders and it's like, wait, I thought this was called something else. I've heard speech therapists. I've heard SLP. I've heard speech language pathology, but I'm now I'm seeing CSD. So we tell them all of those subtle nuances, like this is what's expected of you. This is what you will expect um, once you get to the undergraduate level and really coach them along the way and maintain relationships with those students. So um, I've maintained relationships with high school students that are now in college, as well as Anna and Christina. And we we really want to act as a mentor to them um, all the way throughout their career. So once we saw the lack of diversity at all of those different levels, we literally all got together in one of our living rooms, ordered sushi, had some wine and said, this is what we need to do. And we started reaching out to um, career counselors and different people, you know, with similar backgrounds at different high schools. And we said, 
there is a need for this. We have a presentation. When can we come? So that's really the genesis story of how Diversity SLP got started. And then it quickly transformed because of the pandemic when we weren't able to visit schools in person. And we started branching out and doing more webinars and podcasts and workshops on things like implicit bias, um, alternative assessments, and, and other similar topics that were really that we are still and continue to be very passionate about. I love it. More and more SLPs need to get themselves into like a career day kind of experience and letting people know what the job is. Like, I feel like it's the same jobs that are always being shown and available for students. And there's so much more out there and they have no idea. So I love it that you got yourselves involved and you're keeping those relationships together. That's really, that wasn't really good sushi and wine, by the way, because you came up with some really great ideas and a much needed thing. So So amazing. So what is one thing you want listeners listening to take? I mean, I know there's many different things, but if you had to pick with one thing that will impact SLPs everywhere to help them realize about the different biases and, and the need for diversity. What would you say? Yeah, that is hard to pick one. I know, thing. I know. You had to pick <laughs> one off the top of your head. <laughs> um, but I would say like, I mean, it really kind of depends on where someone is in kind of their awareness level, I think too. Um, because I know, obviously, you know, many of us are aware of the statistics that, you know, 92 to 93% of SLPs do identify as white. And so we need to move past of like, yes, I understand that this is happening and it's a problem to, again, kind of what I was saying before, like we can actually take action. And so we always encourage people in our trainings that like, you can still do these presentations too. Like you can still talk to students from minoritized backgrounds and share of like why it's really important even to you. And that's still impactful. It's not just, it doesn't have to just come from black and brown SLPs. Um, So I would say that it come like part of it would be is like your awareness of like, okay, the changes happen and how do I do it? But also like just thinking about those day-to-day things that we're all dealing with. Like, yes, we have a lot of paperwork. Yes, we have meetings. Yes, we have all these things that we're juggling, but you really have to be intentional about it. Like it's important to our clients, our students, our patients um, and their families. And so we really have to really think about what materials are we using? Like, does it represent the person that's sitting in front of me that I'm treating or that I'm working with? Like, are the assessment, like, was that assessment even normed remotely on an individual that's similar to that person that I'm assessing. And we can't just go through the motions of like, oh, look up the score. Here it is. Like, are you really looking at the whole picture of that client or that student or that patient? So again, that wasn't one thing. So sorry. No, but. that was amazing. No, no, no. It's, no, everyone needs to hear it. What advice would you give to someone who is utilizing just the materials given to them at a school and they know it's probably not the best? What would you say to them? I think it's best to always, if you can, um, conduct interviews with families so that you can understand the cultural background, because sometimes there may be um, pragmatic differences that we don't even realize when you're doing an interview. Um, Things like don't speak unless you're spoken to or um, phonological differences like in African-American English 
you may hear, let me ask you a question where those last two phonemes are transposed and it's not a deficit, it's just a difference. But if you interview a parent and you start to hear their accent or their dialect difference, then you start to realize, oh, this is likely why this child is speaking that way. So once you understand um, the cultural background, whether that be um, their native language, their heritage language, or anything in particular that makes them different from what we're used to in mainstream American English, um, then you can really assess them appropriately. And as Christina said, sometimes you can't even use these standardized assessments because they're not particularly normed on these populations. And so you may be able to use it, but then you can't use the standardized score because it's not appropriate. So um, the best way to assess is to actually get to know the student. And that just comes from great pedagogy. Students are going to want to learn from teachers, instructors, speech language pathologists that they like. So once they realize that you're invested in them, you like them, you want them to succeed, then they are also going to be more motivated to um, perform for you and um, learn from you. And it'll just be a better relationship overall. I so agree. I find that even just with treatment as well, not just the assessment process, that the more you build rapport and take time to show them that you care, uh-huh. the more willing they're going to be to work with you when something's challenging. So, yes. so, so agree. What about dynamic assessment? What, what can you say in terms of using dynamic assessment to help get a better understanding of a student's capabilities? Yeah, I think um, some of it we, like Courtney already kind of touched on, but I feel like it is thinking outside the box and not just going through the motions of like, okay, well, it's articulation. Let me use the Goldman Fristo. Um, so you're really thinking about how am I really kind of getting a full picture? And so that is, you know, like Courtney said, either an interview, kind of doing a play-based language sample, really kind of seeing in the context of that child or that person's environment. Um, and then there are like more like there are tasks. Um, I really like the Leaders Project. We love to reference the Leaders Project. It's a great resource. I'm sure you're in New York, so you're mm-hmm. very familiar. Um, the slam cards and all that fun yep. stuff. Yep. Love yep, it. The love slam it. cards. And it relies on the, I always say this incorrectly, but the test, teach, retest. Test. Correct, Courtney? Yes. Yep. And so like you, we kind of use that method no matter what it is, whether it be something like, you know, a narrative sample, or it could be something like a you know, non-word repetition kind of task. And so kind of using that method to like look at more of the progression and the potential rather than just saying like, oh, they got it wrong. It's an X. Like, how are they able to take in new information? Because that's going to be even more important to how you're going to treat, you know, this individual in the, like anyway, just because you're going to see like, okay, these are the kind of the cues that were helpful. These are the supports that this individual needed to, kind of demonstrate this skill. So I think overall you end up with a better picture, but again, you know, talking with the family, like Courtney said, interviewing, kind of getting um, a picture of them in maybe different environments. If you have time, I know that it can be hard, but like, it's good to see them in, you know, reading and then in the classroom or, you know, out with their family. So trying to kind of get a different picture in different environments is really helpful. 
See, there is a benefit of lunch duty, guys, on the playground. See, yeah. you can get to see them in their life environment. Exactly. <laughs> okay, got to be glasses half full here. There's, there's yeah. benefits to everything. Exactly. <laughs> can you give some examples of how SLPs are tending to use materials that are not appropriate or have the, you know, it's not representative of the students that they have in front of them? Um, when I was on Instagram back in May and scrolling and, you know, just doing my Instagram thing, I saw a lot of teachers selecting books about tacos for Cinco de Mayo. And I thought that was highly inappropriate because that's not what the holiday is about at all. Yes, we understand the cultural connection between Mexico and tacos, but that's not what this is about. Um, we have Black History Month coming up soon, and I know that there is a lot of talk about, you know, how can we celebrate um, historical figures as well as current figures, but Black history shouldn't always be about the struggle. It shouldn't be about, you know, Black people were slaves and Black people struggled to do this and the civil rights movement. We have to talk about celebrations, too. We have to talk about current people. If if there are pictures in Black and white, I always try to show pictures in color to show people, you know, this didn't happen that long ago. So, yes, this is history, but this is within my lifetime, within my parents' lifetime. Um, So I think that we just need to be cognizant of different holidays that are coming up and how we address them, um, whether that be with the type of books that we're using and also um, really stray away from the oppressive remarks, I would say, um, especially during Black History Month. What do you think, Christina? Yeah, I was just going to tag along with that um, and like, Yes, and I guess like it's a running theme, but like it is going to sometimes take more time to do all of these things. But that's what we are hoping that we pe- take the time to do. But you know, when we are quickly preparing for a session, try to stop and think of like, are these flashcards or whatever these picture scenes that I'm about to use? Does anybody in these picture scenes do they look like you know the students that I'm about to work with? So maybe we need to look for another resource on Teachers Pay Teachers. Maybe you need to make your own resource. Maybe you need to be more creative and take some pictures. Obviously, you know, be careful with HIPAA and all that kind of thing. But taking pictures of that actual environment and making it real and functional instead of just using the same generic, you know, cards or materials and toys that you may use. But I think there are a lot of resources already out there of talking about like, you know, these are like toy companies that actually try to be intentional about having a diverse variety of materials and like showing different cultures. Um, You know, that's what their brand is about. So I think we can seek out that kind of thing as well as, you know, those creators, not only who make diverse materials, but diverse individuals who make materials. Um, I think that's really important to support them. And so they keep making more. Do you have any favorite brands that are creating toys that are very representative? Courtney, you, what's the one that you really like? Um, with I, I'm a literacy-based speech-language pathologist, so I use a lot of books. Um, so we always talk about Shantae's latest book with Liam's First Cut, which mm-hmm. is about a Black autistic boy going to the barbershop for the first time. Um, I also reference Gaia Cornwall's book, 
pretty often. Um, it's called Jabari Jumps, and it's about a little black boy with his his dad and his sister, and he's um, at the public pool, and he's about to go off the diving board for the first time. So books about Jabari jumping off of a diving board is much better than talking about an eight-year-old slave from 18 something. Like we need to talk about, you know, what's happening now, real life stories that our black girls and boys can relate to. You know, we all have this power of yet, you know, I've never jumped off a diving board, but I can do that one day. I haven't done it yet, but it's coming. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would much rather prefer to talk about books like that with um, those types of concepts and themes rather than, as I said, stick to the oppressive themes that tend to circulate um, when we think about Black literature. Totally great. I also had on the podcast long ago, Jaya Washington, who is an SLP student writing books as well. Awesome. Yes, yes. So definitely recommend her books as well. (laughs) You have another one, Christina? Um, I was going to go to toys because I'm toy obsessed. <laughs> like I have a whole storage unit full of just toys. Um, and so I really like, you know, I always support, um, I mainly buy from like Melissa and Doug because I think their toys are great. They're very, you know, functional and sturdy. I really like learning resources. They make a lot of great things. Um, and I know that uh, Love Every has really started to be more intentional about trying to incorporate lots of diversity and, you know, being culturally aware of the toys that they're making too. So those are some of my favorite toys, especially for the younger ones. Love it. Love it. You want the students to feel represented in, if you're playing dollhouse or whatever you're doing, you want them to feel represented. So mm-hmm. totally agree. I love the, whether, whether it's a book or a toy mm-hmm. or a teachers pay teachers material, you want everyone to, and, and that's when like, even like with teachers pay teachers materials, like you can change the names of the stories while you're reading it to them. Like you don't exactly. like use their names, like put them in the story. Mm-hmm. So there's always ways to help uh, diversify and use what you have, the resource you have to make it, make it work a little bit more appropriately. I agree. What advice would you give to a young SLP just starting out and wanting to make sure they do the right thing? <laughs> Brace yourself. Yeah, I mean, if they are already thinking about that, I think that's already, you know, a great, great start that they're very aware of it. Um, and they're probably already coming in, unfortunately, with some experiences where they maybe could be th- thinking back, no matter what you know background they may be from, like, oh, well, maybe that wasn't, you know, maybe they witnessed something between a professor and a student that you know, that maybe made them feel uncomfortable. So just thinking about, you know, some of their experience that they've already had and like, how could I have maybe done like spoken up for an individual or how could I have advocated for someone when maybe they didn't have the means or that they, you know, were intimidated in that situation. Um, And then I would say, especially, you know, our pediatric SLPs working in those schools, you know, in the public schools, private schools, wherever, um, really, looking at some of those recommendations that we're making, like, is there a pattern of, you know, are most of my black and brown students, are those the ones that I'm recommending intervention for? Like, you have to really kind of check yourself at times of like looking at something like, oh, does this really make sense? Or is there like, am I having some intent, like some implicit biases myself? Um, And then also just thinking about how we can really support 
the families. I think that's really important too, like asking them what they need, what they think is important for their child to work on. It can't just be about like, hey, let's look at our common core and this is what we need to do. So we have to balance it. So, so true. One question I have for you guys is what would you say to your early SLP self? Um, you don't know everything right now and you never will. <laughs> never. <laughs> learning every day. Um, never stop asking questions because there's always going to be somebody to the left or the right of you that knows something that you don't know. And that's okay. You know, we are supposed to be lifelong learners. That's why we have to get CEUs. <laughs> so I think that you should always ask questions and never be afraid to look stupid. Like what that. about you, Christina? What about you? Oh, I, I mean, I really liked what Courtney said. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, and I agree. Like, we're always going to be learning. We're never going to know everything. I, I completely agree with that. And that's also what makes us good clinicians, not only because we're going to be constantly researching and trying to learn more information, but it also makes us more open to, I don't want to say just more open to change, but like kind of rethinking our own practices if we are constantly taking in new information and you know, learning from others, because we can get kind of stuck in like, this is my area. I got AAC. I, I know it. I don't really need to do any more trainings than that. But like, if I keep doing that for the next 20, 30 years, I'm not going to be that effective with a therapist. So I agree with Courtney. I'm just going to, you know, co-sign on what she said. <laughs> what are your hopes for ASHA in terms of this topic? <laughs> um i said hopes yeah i mean i hope that they are listening to people number one because people are voicing their opinions and a lot of times we're not seeing a direct response or like we'll see something and it's like didn't you learn from the last time you released a statement that like towing the line and trying to be politically correct is not effective and not what your constituents want so um yeah, listening and looking at those comments on their posts, looking at those, you know, blogs that are speaking out um, and really trying to figure out what do SLPs need, not only, you know, for their clients, students, but what do we need to feel supported? Um, you know, schools are struggling right now. You know, all school-based staff are struggling right now. So how can ASHA get in there and support our workload, our you know, all of the responses to COVID. So I think, yeah, mainly this needs to be listening and then taking action based on what you see the needs are and not just, oh, well, we've always done it this way. So this is how it should be done. Mm-hmm. That never works. Mm-hmm. I understand that it's very challenging um, having an organization with thousands and thousands of people in a country with such diversity. So you're always going to have multiple opinions and multiple perspectives. It's like, you know, the school district that I came from has thousands of kids and it's huge. I think it's the 10th largest in the country. And so it could be snowing in the Western part of the county, but the East gets nothing, but the whole county's closed because it's the entire school district. So it's like, I kind of think of it that way where you're not going to please everybody, but I feel like time and time again, ASHA is missing the mark. So if we say it's snowing over here, they'll say, well, it's not snowing on the east side. So 
school is in session. Whereas <laughs> the other, it should be the other way around where you're protecting everybody. It's snowing in this section. So we need to protect the whole county. So the whole county is closed. I feel like ASHA is not protecting us at this point. They're only protecting themselves. And they have an agenda that they've been following. And it's been the same agenda. It's not been reimagined. It's not been um, revamped or reinvented. It just feels like the same old things over and over again. And it's tiring because I feel like over the past five years, it's been the same mistakes and they're not learning um, from their mistakes. And I understand that they're in charge of a new multicultural officer, um, which they'll be hiring this year. So that's going to be a huge task. That's going to be a huge hire. It's a, it's a big deal. And I do not envy the person that takes that role, (laughs) but I understand that it's important and they really need to, they need to reach out to members and understand the flavor. They need to see what the culture is because right now it's so far in left field. It's like, they don't even live in America. <laughs> it's so true. Right here in the DMV, like actually they, like Asha headquarters is where I grew mm-hmm. up in the mm-hmm. same town that I grew up in. So like they're in a diverse area. So they, it's not like they're off in the middle of nowhere. So, so true. So true. It's just like administrators in a school, like they haven't stepped foot in a classroom, mm-hmm. but they're, but they're tell- or, or, uh, or governors or whatever, making decisions on schools. Yeah. Like haven't stepped foot. Asha right. has not stepped foot in our shoes and they're making decisions for us. So, yeah. So there's room for growth. Yes. <laughs> yes. And hopefully with the new hire and hopefully they are listening and realizing that there needs to be change. And hopefully with, and I'm so grateful that there's so many people like you guys who are providing the professional development that SLPs need and schools need and people need to help better educate and make aware of situations that are not being shown to us by ASHA and the universities and things like that. So thank you. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your viewpoints and advice and tips and everything. What else would you like to share with everyone listening to make sure they understand about this topic of diversity, inclusion, biases? Well, with implicit bias, we all have them. You know, it's something that we bring to our everyday experiences, every social situation. So the key is to just check your bias and understand, am I bringing this bias to this diagnostic session? Am I bringing this bias as I'm writing this IEP? Am I bringing my biases to this treatment session and then being able to adapt? So the first step is obviously realizing that you have the bias and then Um, seeking out extra training or readings that you can understand how you can adapt that into um, more um, culturally and linguistically sustaining practice rather than um, maintaining your bias and doing things as you've always done them. Anything to add, Christina? (laughs) Yeah, I guess mine would be more since I'm all about the action steps and the actionable steps, um, 
is that we have resources available on, um, we have a Google Drive that's open to anyone. If you want to just jump in and start presenting at high schools in your area, we have like everything just laid out for you to like, all you have to do is like put in your name. So we have the presentation that we give. And then we have like resources that you can give, like an infographic that you can hand out, um, the email template of how you reach out to the school. So we literally tried to make it as easy as possible. It's like, this is how you do it. Here it is on a platter. Um, And so it's, again, it's available in our Google Drive and that will hopefully be shared. And then you can also, if you have any questions, email us at diversity, and that's D-I-V-E-R. And then city is with a C-I-T-Y at gmail.com. Diversity, SLP, sorry, at gmail.com. And we'll have links to everything in the show notes. And not to worry, everyone. So head on to the show notes (laughs) to make sure you can get access to their email, their social media links, and the Google Drive to have all those resources, which is amazing. So, so amazing. So where can everyone, obviously, other than emailing you, and where else can they find and learn more about what you guys are offering? You can check out our Instagram page, which is um, Diversity SLP. Um, my personal um, Instagram page is Speech of Cake Inc. And Christina? Uh, mine's Play on Words Therapy LLC. Amazing. And Anna is both speech therapy, and that's V-O-Z, speech therapy. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are amazing. I love what you are doing. I can't wait to see what more impact you are having on SLPs and students around the world. I'm sure I'm going to see and hear a lot lot more over the next year or so. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I always end my episodes with a joke. So I'm going to have one for you guys because jokes (laughs) are fun and tons of language. How do baseball players stay cool? I don't know. How? They sit next to the fans. Mm, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, why not? The multiple meaning words here, language, build rapport. (laughs) Um, I always have a joke of the week in my speech room. So when students come in while waiting for other students to come, it it breaks the ice. It gives us something to talk about. And then they they get to go on the playground and share with their friends and Mm -hmm. feel cool. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Until next week, everyone listening, go check out Diversity SLP. You won't regret it. Go learn more and be the best SLP you can be. Until next week, everyone, stay out of trouble. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of SLP Coffee Talk. It means the world to me that you're tuning in each and every week and getting the jolt of inspiration you need. You can find all of the links and information mentioned in this episode at my website, speechtimefun.com. Don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss any future episodes. And while you're there, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few seconds and leave me an honest review. See you next week with another episode full of fun, and inspiration from one SLP to another. Have fun, guys.